Hey friends, this is Gwen DeSelm, host of The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm, a weekly podcast bringing biblical teaching to everyday people in ways we can understand and put into practice. Our teacher, Dave DeSelm, was the founding senior pastor of Fellowship Missionary Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where he served for nearly 35 years. Today, Dave is the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, offering resources for everyday pastors and the people they lead, such as a weekly blog, devotionals, individual and group coaching, speaking, and more. You can find out more about us at davedeselmministries.org. When hardships happen in our lives, when difficult circumstances knock us down, the natural response for most of us is to pray that God would take them away, that He would resolve the conflict and remove the pain. But how do you bounce back when God answers that prayer with, no, that thorn is going to be part of your life? In this final episode of the series Resilience, Dave takes a look at the story of the Apostle Paul's thorn in the flesh and reveals the word of hope that God gave to him and all of us who suffer. Here's Dave. Let's take our Bibles in hand, shall we? And open them up to, once again, the New Testament epistle of 2 Corinthians. Today we wrap up our teaching series on resilience. It's about... How do you bounce back when you get body slammed by life? This is our sixth week on this. We've looked at different aspects of resilience and how you can make a comeback when you've gone down so hard and often so often. This idea of resilience has to have with it the idea of pain and suffering, two topics that really are not at all popular in our day and age, especially in our Western culture. We do everything we can to evade pain and suffering. And if it does come our way, we do everything we can to escape pain and suffering. Yet one thing we've learned in this teaching series is that many times God does some of his best work in us and through us as we're forced to engage pain and suffering. And this is what Paul wanted to get across to some people who lived in Corinth. And 25 years after Jesus' resurrection, he planted a community here that began to thrive of Christ's followers. He wrote at least three letters to that community. Two of them have been uh, brought into the New Testament. We know them as First and Second Corinthians. And in Second Corinthians, it's his most intensely personal and passionate of all of his letters. He shows himself in this epistle unlike any other. And early on, he talks about pain and suffering and how there can be some redemptive purpose in it. Note the words here, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Paul makes a profound point here. Specific pain allows us to comfort people specifically. There is no one who is able to provide comfort for someone who has lost a child like someone who has lost a child. There's no one who is better able to help someone move through the dark tunnel of divorce like someone who has traversed the tunnel. There is no one who can come alongside a person who's going through chemo like one who's been there and done that. Comforted to comfort. A little later in that first chapter, Paul returns again to the topic of suffering. He writes, we were under great pressure 
far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Profound reality is exposed here. Many times it's only when you get knocked down that the only way you have to look is up. Or as the old adage put it, you'll never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. The theme goes on in chapter 4. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. In all of this, I think we see a couple preliminary points that we would do well to make note of. Paul had learned to glory in his suffering as part of God's plan for his life and as a way whereby he could display the reality of God in his life. When, in fact, he got knocked down, he was able to bounce back because he recognized God is at work, God is at work, and I will trust him. Now, over in chapter 12, and I have you turn there right now, it's one of the most interesting sections of Scripture in the entire New Testament. He talks about purposeful suffering yet again. Let me set the context for you. Throughout this letter, we talked about this a couple weeks back, Paul has been forced to defend his apostolic position. Critics had invaded the church at Corinth. They were saying, in effect, this. He's not a real apostle. His credentials are suspect. He doesn't truly care for you, and his character is a little iffy. There were those who began to buy into these accusations, and so throughout this 2 Corinthians letter, he's had to defend, he didn't want to, but he had to defend his credentials, his character, and his care for the people. At the end of chapter 11, and I would recommend you to read it, he gives multiple paragraphs of that which he faced, and it's just unbelievable what this guy faced for the gospel. And if you're ever tempted to give up in your discipleship, read the last, last half of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and you'll see what a man had to face, and he refused to give up, give in, or give out. Now in chapter 12, out of this defense of his credentials, he continues on writing, I must go on boasting. He's talking about defending his credentials. Although there's nothing to be gained, I'll go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one was permitted to tell. There was this individual who literally got transported to heaven itself. Some observations about this after I did some study this week. Here's the first one. Paul is probably writing about himself. He's probably writing about himself. You say, but he, he says, I, I knew a man. This was a typical uh, first century way of writing to deflect attention. It was an act of humility. But I think we can say because of his specificity of this moment, a time, a place, I think we can say with pretty good confidence, this was him. Second, while he is certain of his location, he is uncertain of his orientation. You'll notice the phrase, third heaven. Do you see that? I was brought up to third. What's the third heaven? To the first century mind, the first heaven was the immediate atmosphere around us. The blue sky, the clouds, that's the first heaven. The second heaven was the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets. That's the second heaven. 
The third heaven was where God himself ruled and reigned. Paradise, if you will. This is the third heaven. And Paul said, I know this man. I was taken up to the third heaven. He doesn't know his orientation. Was he in the body? Was it one of those beam me up Scotty moments from Star Trek? Or was he in the spirit? He said, I don't know. All I know was I was there. And number three, what he witnessed, mere words could not express. This incredible experience was quite literally out of this world. And apparently he was not given permission to share any of it. Yet this was God's unique plan for his unique servant. For some reason, God wanted to give Paul a picture of this. And my guess is because he was about to undergo even more horrific suffering. And God chose sovereignly to let Paul have a point of encouragement. Question. If a person would have this experience, what would be the single greatest temptation they could have? Pride. And who's going to top this one? You're trying to win an argument, you're engaging in a debate, you say, uh, well, I know a man who went to heaven. Ever done that? It trumps everybody's ace. Nobody's going to get beyond that. And apparently, God in his wisdom knew that Paul could go that way. Indeed, looking at verse 7, we see, because of these surpassingly great revelations, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from becoming conceited. In his wisdom, God recognized a severe mercy had to go Paul's way, and in this case, it was a thorn in the flesh. Now, the Greek word for thorn is interesting. The word is scolops, and literally it means a sharply pointed stake. The reference here is to make it very clear. This is exceedingly painful. This is no small thing. It's very, very difficult. Now, the question is, what is it? Paul says, and I think it was a messenger from Satan. I read that not as literal, but figurative. He said, this was so bad, it's as if it came from the dark side. This came from the dark side. So what was the thorn? Theories abound. For example, there are some who believe the thorn was his ongoing spiritual temptation to bail out of ministry. John Calvin held this view. Others have said the thorn was his ongoing uh, opposition, the persecution that he faced from others. This was Martin Luther's view. It has been taken by others that this was carnal temptation, that is, sexual temptation, to give in to sexual expression outside of marriage. This was, and still is, the view of the Roman Catholic Church. But none of those views would seem to satisfy, I don't think, the meaning of scolops, because it's just too strong for it to be that kind of a temptation. There are two bets that I would place my money on. Here's the first. First of all, that Paul suffered from malaria. In Galatia, modern-day Turkey, where he went on his first missionary journey, there are swamps below the mountains, heavily infested with malarial mosquitoes. It could very well be that he contracted malaria there. From what I understand, it's like having a hot, red-hot poker stuck through your eye. The headaches are horrific. It's just horrible, borderline debilitating. It could be that Paul struggled with malaria the rest of his life. The other thought, which I kind of lean toward, is that Paul had severe eye trouble. You might remember when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, in his blinding glory, Paul was blind for three days. Do you remember that? 
He was blind. I would suggest to you that his eyes never recovered, that he had this severe eye trouble because of this. I think that could be hinted at. I think I can defend it in the letter to Galatians. Notice what it says in 4.15. I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. While he was with them, did he have a very difficult time where we couldn't see? Because he speaks about them giving his eye, their eyes to him. Notice how that same letter ends. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Whenever Paul would write a, a letter, he would dictate it. An amanuensis was a scribe. He would dictate his letters. But at the end, he would typically, in his own hand, give a closing greeting. This is what he's alluding to here. Let's flash it up there again. See what large letters I use as I write with my own hand. I think this would seem to say that in large, scrawling letters, he wrote his signature on the letter. But it would seem to suggest one who couldn't see very well. The point is this. Paul, at times, I believe, was helpless and certainly was humbled, totally dependent upon God and the community around him. And I believe that somehow God, in his wisdom, knowing that disciples are not mass-produced but hand-tooled, seemed to think, son, you're going to have this thorn, and you're not going to like it. He did not experience this thorn in the flesh because he'd made poor decisions. Nor is this a sinful choice. Rather, and I, I struggle with this, but it appears that God was saying, son, this is going to be part of your life. And it's going to be for your good, out of my sovereign will. Some difficulty. Here's the thing. Some of you know what it's like to face a thorn right now. I know of individuals in this church who are caring for a spouse who's struggling with severe cancer. It's a difficult situation. No fault of your own, and you find yourself enduring this. I know of others in this church who are caring for parents who have Alzheimer's disease. Talk about a thorn. Difficult. Some in this church have the agony of chronic migraines, the misery of clinical depression, the inability to have children, or the rebellion of the children you had. Through no fault of your own, not through a sinful choice or poor decision, you're struggling. In God's wisdom, thorns at time comes in, come into his kids' lives. And it will force you to be dependent and humble and trusting as never before. You're listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. Dave will be back in just a moment with the conclusion of his message. If you're enjoying this podcast, I hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review. And if you'd like to support us in this ministry, you can do so by going to davedesellministries.org and clicking on the donate button. Now, one of the ways that we can build resilience in our lives is by regularly feeding our souls on encouragement from the Word of God, being reminded of what's true about God. And what's true about you as his child helps bring hope and perspective for the challenges we each face. In addition to this podcast, Dave DeSelm Ministries offers other resources that can help provide that kind of encouragement, such as 
devotionals for everyday disciples. Each week, Pastor Dave delivers a new devotional filled with insight and inspiration from God's Word. You can have these devotionals sent directly to your email inbox by going to davedesomeministries.org and clicking on the subscribe button. Now, let's return to Dave and the rest of today's teaching. What is the natural thing to do when you get a thorn? Oh God, deliver me from my thorn. Remove it. Change the situation. Adjust the circumstance. It's the natural thing to do. And it's not a bad thing to do. Paul did it. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, you've got to ask yourself, is this literal or figurative? Did he simply go, time one, time two, time three, I'm done? Or is he saying, I entered into a season of strategic prayer, asking that this be reversed, and it just didn't happen? I don't know for sure. But as I thought about that three times, I thought, hey, is there somebody else in the New Testament who three times prayed for the thorn, if you will, to be taken away? Is there anybody you know that three times asked that he not have to drink the cup? I'll give you a hint. It was in a garden. And three times, Jesus prayed, Father, take away the thorn. Change the circumstance. I don't want to drink this cup. And the beloved Son of God prayed fervently, and his father said, no. And Paul prayed fervently three times, and his father said, no, son, no. How do you bounce back when God says no? When we've got our thorn, we ask God to take it away. We ask God to make it better. The physical thorn, the emotional thorn, the financial thorn, the legal thorn. I think we get some insight from verse nine. Back to eight. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. That word perfect here does not mean without flaw. Literally it means it helps something reach its ultimate goal. My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is now flowing to help my purposes reach their perfect goal. In effect, the Lord said to Paul, you have no idea what I'm doing through your thorn. My power is accomplishing a greater good and a higher purpose. So I'm going to say no. Let's go back to the garden. Jesus asked his father, remove this cup, remove this cup, remove this cup. And the father says, in effect, no. Question, was greater good and higher purpose realized because Jesus accepted the no? I think we sit here today because he drank the cup and he went to the cross and he gave his life for us but it had to begin with him grappling with 
the thorn that he faced in the garden. I have to wonder what greater good and higher purpose was realized in Paul for God to say no. I I don't know. Would he have gone off the deep end in pride? I don't know. Would he have moved to some kind of an independent streak that would have been counterproductive to God's purposes? I don't know. But somehow, for some reason, the father said no. And Paul, coming out of that, said, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Father, I can only ask then that you give me the grace and that you flow a strength through me and that you reveal your purposes in me and the greater good and higher good purposes come because of this. I think that Paul recognized this is a strange word for a thorn. It was, in effect, a gift. And that God's power would best be experienced in his weakness. I don't know that he ever fully understood why he got the no. But he said, in effect, I'll trust you. I'll lean into all sufficient grace. Friends, I've learned long enough as a Christian, as a pastor, that many times God's best gifts are the ones we don't want. They come in through the back door, they're wrapped in black packaging, and they're labeled, my grace will be sufficient for you as you unwrap this gift. And yet, many times they're the best gifts. Sometime back I came across a poem written by an unknown Confederate soldier that I think best expresses this. I ask God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I ask God for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I ask God for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I ask God for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my prayers were answered. I am among men most richly blessed. Let's bow our heads. What thorn are you currently enduring? Physical, relational, emotional, financial. You've prayed and prayed and prayed. But it appears right now, to date, the answer is no. I'm not saying you should stop praying. But can you hear the whisper of the Spirit through this chapter? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect. My purposes can, in fact, be realized in your weakness. Can you choose to trust Him 
even as you hear a no. Can you dare to believe that greater good and higher purposes than perhaps you've ever dreamed could in fact be realized? What would God want to say to you today about your thorn? How might your attitude toward him be changed if you dared to trust in his grace and his purposes? Heavenly Father, it's a lot I don't understand in this. And yet this great man prayed and heard a no. And my Savior prayed in a garden and heard a no. So when I get the no, may I respond as they did. Nonetheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I will lean into all sufficient grace and trust that you know what's best. Thank you so much for joining us for the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like to let Pastor Dave know how this message has blessed you, send him an email at dave at davedeselmministries.org. Then join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.